Uh, the Torah portion this week is called Chukat. If you're going to say it, don't look at your neighbor because you will spit all over his or her face. But it means statutes. It's an interesting word. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, they call the, um, the commandments around the red heifer, um, the red cow that gets uh, slaughtered and it's used in a ritual purification in this Torah portion, if you've approached or been in contact with a dead body, um, they call it a chuk, a chukat, or a chuk, um, instead of a mitzvah. A mitzvah is just a commandment. But why do they call it a chukah, a chukah? Um, chukat, or singular chuk. Um, the rabbis say it's because we can't figure out what it means. It's one of, they call it a chuk, when it's a commandment that's in the Bible that we don't know why God told us to do something as weird as this. We're just going to have to be obedient. And we all have that in life. Sometimes the Lord calls us to do things. We don't fully understand it. We just have to obey. And so that is, um, according to Jewish tradition, that is the chukat, uh, rather than just a mitzvah. So in this Torah portion, we learn about this strange ritual with the red heifer. There are many, many cows in the Bible. This one they seem to call a heifer. So this is a special one, the heifer, and it's red. And um, just to summarize what happens, it, it, gets, it gets killed, the ashes of, the, of this red heifer uh, get put into water, and it's used, like I said, to sprinkle on, up over people to help them uh, get clean, uh, ritually clean, if they were in contact with a dead body. Um, it's a very interesting thing. Now, we hear in life, on the news, every now and again, about the finding of a red heifer. You ever hear that? Yeah. They found a red heifer! Alert! Prophetic alert! Uh, it happened once every few years, over the last couple of decades, you hear about this. It's a perfect red heifer, because according to the scripture, this red heifer, this red cow, has to be perfectly red. Perfectly red. And the rabbis have uh, defined what that means to be perfectly red. If it has two hairs that aren't red, it's disqualified. And there are other disqualifications. Um, it's so rare that according to Maimonides, the Jewish rabbi, there's only been nine heifer, red heifers used in all of Israel's history. From the time of Moses until now, there's only, well, until he was alive, there's only been nine. Moses brought one, he says, Ezra, the, the, the scribe uh, from our prophetic readings, brought another, and then seven others up until the destruction of the temple, and there hasn't been any other since. But Maimonides says in his writings that the 10th red heifer will be brought by the Messiah. Whoa. It's very interesting. And this is probably why when a red heifer is found, there's like a prophetic upswell. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's very, very interesting. Uh, so like I said, the rabbis put uh, rules in place on what a red heifer needs to be. And the, and the, the, the Mishnah lists Various rules, like I said, it can't uh, ever be yoked. It could never have made it. It has to. It can't have two hairs that are not red, or else it's disqualified. So that's why it becomes kind of rare to have this particular red heifer. Uh, and the rabbis are meticulous. The rabbis, when they're looking for a red heifer, they are meticulous. And in today's sermon, I don't want to talk anymore about the red heifer, but I want to talk about this concept of looking at something meticulously and fastidiously 
Oh, I know that word. And perfectly. <laughs> so you understand what is real and you understand what a counterfeit is. Counterfeits are out there. In fact, everything of the kingdom that is good, I believe there is a counterfeit. Everything of the good of the kingdom, I believe not only is there a counterfeit, but there is a demonic counterfeit. Counterfeits are not just lies. Counterfeits are meant to mirror the truth. They're meant to look like the truth. They're meant to trick you into believing it is truth. That's what a counterfeit is. Can you personally tell the difference? Which one, who believes that the top one is the counterfeit? A couple of you do. Who believes the bottom one is the counterfeit? Who is afraid to guess? <laughs> this is the point. The bottom one is the counterfeit. It's meant to trick us. And in the kingdom, there are many counterfeits of many things. And we're going to go over some of them. It's certainly not an exhaustive list. Some of them are going to be a little charged. And some of them will be a little more light in speaking about it. But we're going to go over a couple of counterfeits. The Bible says in John... First um, John 4, he said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Amen to that. To see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So in other words, there are things out there that are going to tell us or want us to believe that they are true, that they are prophetic, that they are from the Lord. But we're not just to believe everything that we see. And just because somebody says, I got a word from the Lord, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's from the Lord. But we need to test these things and not believe everything. The reason um, I, I believe that every good thing in the kingdom has a, has a counterfeit, like a demonic counterfeit, and this whole concept for me actually was awakened by something that Val said a while ago. Now, to me, now we were dealing with some issue, I think, in the congregation. I don't remember what it was exactly, but I remember that I was kind of like, I had this little sneaking suspicion of something happened, this or that or this. And Val said this, and I thought this was actually very wise. It really registered with me. Val said, well, suspicion is the demonic counterfeit of discernment. Now, if any of you did not go, hmm, I'll give you another chance. One, two, three. I thought that was um, full of wisdom. Discernment, I will. Discernment is a spiritual gift to be able to discern. Good spirits, evil spirits, to be able to discern right and wrong, to be able to discern righteousness and sin, to be able to discern what is true and holy versus what is not. It is a spiritual gift to be able to say, hmm, this doesn't smell right to me. It is a spiritual gift. Suspicion 
is not discernment. Suspicion comes from a place of distrust. Do you ever have a, an upswell? That's the second time I use that word. Of suspicion? And it just doesn't feel right. You know what I mean? Like, you just, I, I don't trust this person or that person. And you may, it may feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you, like, don't trust this person. But it is not. It could be suspicion. It could be the enemy speaking to you and saying, don't trust. And it's something is welling up inside of you that is actually not of the Lord. The enemy is very, very crafty. And we need to, and there's no easy answer to this, but we need to be mindful of what is of the Lord and what is welling up within us that is not of the Lord. And what are we hearing that is of the Lord and what are we hearing that is not of the Lord? The, as far as prophets, the Bible, the Torah, actually gives a very, very clear test. If John says, test the spirits, the Torah gives a very, very clear test about prophets when they're false, when they say things that are false. Now, Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22 says, if you say, how are we going to know? How are we going to recognize if the, if the word which the Lord has not spoken? In other words, if somebody comes to you and gives you a prophecy, the Torah says, well, you're going to ask, how do we know? How do we know? It gives a very, very simple test. When the prophets speak in the name of the Lord and the thing does not happen or come true, that thing which the Lord is, that is the thing that the Lord, which is not, the Lord has not spoken. It's really, really simple. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you're not to be afraid of him. I believe these days we have many presumptuous prophets Amen. who speak in the name of the Lord, but these things don't come to pass, and there's no repentance. Now, let me explain something, because prophecy is a very broad term these days, and that's perfectly fine. Like, I could bless you when it's, it's considered prophecy, or I could give you a generic prophecy and say you're going to be blessed. And there's really no way to, to really test that. Right. It could be your whole life, and you can say, well, maybe it was this. You know? There's so many prophecies that can be translated. Well, okay, this was spoken, and it can be translated many ways. But if a prophecy is specific, this is going to happen, and it's going to happen by this date. Let me explain. Like if somebody said that the rapture is going to happen on, on February 19, 2017, and February 19, 2017 goes by, and the rapture doesn't happen, it was a false prophecy. Period. There's no other translation of certain prophecies that are very specific. And it's okay if somebody gives a false prophecy, we just need to repent. And this is something we need to, as we're testing spirits, as we're watching out for counterfeits, we need to be mindful of prophets who speak, and if it doesn't come true, there's no repentance. That is what we need. We all see in part. We all see not 100% clearly. We all say things in the name of the Lord. But prophecy, and here's the thing, prophecies are done in the name of the Lord. You're putting the Lord's name behind what you're saying. This is something that I believe we are very flippant about. And I think we need to be cautious. And this is where I feel we can be a little bit too loose when we put the name of God behind what we're saying. And if it's false, well, great, you know, God is looking to, to help us hear him better. But if it's false, just be honest. Don't redefine what you said. Don't say, well, you know, okay, go on to some other thing. Just say if you said it and it didn't happen, or if you hear something was said it doesn't happen, 
All you have to do is repent and that's it. So beware the counterfeits. Beware of prophetic words where there's no accountability. It says in the latter days there are gonna be false prophets and bring this word to you today so you can be cautious of these things. The counterfeits are meant to look like the real thing. So be mindful of that. Test the spirits. Let's see if it comes to pass. If it doesn't come to pass, let's see what that prophet does with it. Be mindful of these things. So, all right. Now I need to, as I speak about such things, I need to make sure that my zeal is not being superseded with the counterfeit of zeal, which is like anger. So, beware of the counterfeit marks of the beasts. There are many counterfeit marks of the beast floating out there since social security numbers were given to every American. And then when it wasn't the social security number, it was the credit cards. And if it's not the credit cards, it's the UPC codes on the products. And if it's not the UPC codes on the products, it's our phones and being able to take our phones and go doink and make a purchase. There are many, many marks of the beast out there. Today, the mark of the beast for many is the coronavirus vaccine. I'm gonna say it point blank. The coronavirus vaccine is not the mark of the beast. I'm with you right there. And I'm going to share why it is not, and I'm going to share what really we should be looking at. And I say it is a counterfeit because all of these marks of the beast are causing way too much fear in the body of Messiah. Hallelujah. Way too much fear. All right, one person agrees with me and nobody else does. Way too much fear about, I, don't, I can't touch this, don't, this is gonna be the mark. What if I do this, or if I use this technology, or if I take this medicine, God's gonna cast me into the, God's gonna cast me into the lake of fire if I do this or I do this. God doesn't work that way. Technology is neutral. Whatever the technology is, it's neutral. Beware the counterfeit marks of the beast. Certain things might be, but there is a test. It says to test these things. This is the test. Let's go over every single scripture that speaks about the mark of the beast. First of all, it says in Revelation 13, that he, the beast, caused all, small and great, rich and poor, free and slaves, to be given a mark on their right hands or their foreheads. Mark on their hand or on their forehead. And he decrees that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. This is where theories like the chip come in. Because it's going to be a mark on our hand, and we're not going to be able to buy and sell without the mark. Therefore, a lot of people think that there's going to be some sort of device put on our hand that we're going to be able to go doink and, it, and start buying and selling. And we're not going to be able to buy and sell unless we do that. I don't know what happened to the forehead. Maybe we're supposed to go doink when we're in the store. I don't know. But 
A, a chip may or may not be the mark of the beast. I don't know, but there's a test. But let me go through what I think these things mean. In the Torah, it says, well, first of all, in Revelation, it says the mark on their hand on their forehead. That is not the first time we see that. It says in Deuteronomy, which we read and chanted this morning in the beginning of service, which is right after the Shema, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up. You shall tie them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be frontlets on your forehead. What is this talking about? The word of God. It's the word of God. It's the Torah that is supposed to be spiritually on our hand and our forehead. Now we have the beast saying, I'm gonna put a mark on your hand and on your forehead. The mark of the beast is sin. It causes us to break the Torah. It's a perversion of the word of God. That's what the mark of the beast will do. If the Torah, the word of God, his instruction on what is sin and what is not sin, if that is the mark on our hand and forehead, and the beast is going to put another mark on our hand and forehead, it is a perversion of what God says is sin and what God says is righteousness. Number two, and I'm going to say that I am 100% sure that that's what that means. What I am almost sure, because, hey, wouldn't it be nice if everybody just said, I think this is what it means, rather than making bold statements when you're not sure. It also says about the mark of the beast that nobody will be able to buy or sell without it. Where else in the scripture does it talk about buying and selling? It talks about it in Nehemiah regarding the Sabbath. You are not allowed to buy and sell and do that type of trading on the Sabbath. So you're not allowed to do it. But if you have the mark, you are. It's a break of the Sabbath. Again, a break of God's law. So let's see how we avoid the mark of the beast, whatever it is, whether it's a spiritual mark, which is my belief, or something physical, like a chip. Here is the perseverance of the saints. This is how you persevere during this time. It says two things. Keep the commandments of God, which means don't sin, and keep your faith in Yeshua. That's it. It's not about taking or not taking. If you don't sin and you keep your faith in Yeshua, that's how you get through it. It's not about if you do something that seems very neutral and all of a sudden, oh my God, it's the mark of the beast, I'm going to hell. It is impossible that God will do that to us. Amen. It's impossible that God will do that to us. The tests to see if it is the true mark of the beast, whether it is medicine, whether it is a chip, whether it is a credit card or a social security number or anything you want to say. The test is, does it cause us to sin? Does it cause us to renounce Jesus? Amen. Remember that. Whatever it is, does it cause us to sin? 
does it cause us to renounce Jesus? Remember, every single scripture that talks about the mark of the beast doesn't just say receiving a mark. It means worshiping the beast and an image. Every single one. Revelation 14.9, Revelation 16.2, worship the image. Revelation 19.20, receive the mark and worship the image. Revelation 24, receive the mark, worship the beast and his image. It's about worshiping false god and sinning. That is the test if it is a mark of the beast. If it is a technology or anything else, it is absolutely neutral. It is not sin to get a vaccine. It is not sin to use a technology. Now, some people may say it is sin because you're submitting to the world system. Nah. <laughs> it has to be worship. If it's something unclear, like you're bowing to the system of the world, where does it start and where does it end? We all go to the world schools. We go to their hospitals. We carry the money in our pockets with pagan symbols on it, by the way. We shop, we have mortgages, we have debt, and also you do this, oh, you're bowing to the world system. No, it's not a figurative worship. God would not play that type of game with us. It's not. When you look at Revelation about bowing to an image, remember, Revelation, all the imagery in Revelation is, is everything in the Old Testament is a portent of that. So much of it, of the book of Revelation, repeats something that was in the Old Testament. Book of Revelation repeats what's in the Old Testament. So what is the, the beast and the image and bowing to the beast? Where does it come from? It comes from Daniel. The beast was seized. Oh, I'm sorry. Here it is. Um, yeah. Anyone who offers a prayer to any god. This is the king of Babylon. This was his decree. This is what we need to be looking for, folks. Anyone who offers a prayer to any god or person beside you, O king of Babylon, for 30 days shall be thrown into the lion's den. Daniel wasn't thrown into the lion's den for shopping. He wasn't thrown into the lion's den for taking medicine. He wasn't thrown into the lion's den for anything like that. He was thrown into the lion's den because there was a literal, a literal image that was placed. And there was a decree that he was not allowed to pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I'm not doing that. And he was thrown into the lion's den. That is the foreshadow of the mark and the beast and the image that is coming. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There was a golden statue that Nebuchadnezzar placed up for himself. And he said, whoever does not fall down in worship shall be thrown into the, to the fire. It was a literal renouncing. You have to renounce God and Jesus. If it's not asking you to do it, it is not the mark of the beast. The counterfeits out there that are just going to cause fear. All of these things, masks, they're neutral. They're neutral. It's not a figurative worship that God is going to hold us to or else we're all done. Because we're all in the world in some capacity. It's a literal worship. So beware counterfeit marks of the beast that only cause us to be scared. 
of just doing things that have nothing to do with sin or righteousness. It's just a thing. Technology is a thing. Medicine is a thing. You can't say that a vaccine is the mark of the beast, but your allergy medicine isn't. I'm sorry. You can't. It's either all medicine is the mark of the beast and it's causing you to renounce Jesus, or you're not being fair if you say that this is the mark of the beast, but your blood pressure medicine isn't. It's wrong to say that. Beware. They can put a ship anywhere. Is it causing you to renounce Jesus? And is it causing you to sin? If the answer is no, then it's not the mark of the beast. That's it. That's it. And he's not going to have us do it. And then, oh my God, God is not going to play games with you like that. Be free of the fear. Beware the counterfeit. It's counterfeit. Amen. All right. Zeal, not anger. God is not giving us the spirit of fear, but the power of love. Beware counterfeit grace. Grace is not the absence of sin. It's, it's not the changing of what's sin. It's the overlooking of our sin. It's unmerited. It's an acknowledgement that we're sinning. It is not changing sin. Paul said, and he dealt with it, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He said, may it never be. Beware counterfeit Grace. Counterfeit grace can come in two different ways. One is that it redefines what's in the Bible. That's, by the way, part of the beast structure. When the laws are changed, that's part of the beast structure that we need to be mindful of. Does it cause you to sin? Is it saying that sin is not sin? That is something we need to be looking for, rather than little bits of technology that will always come around in society. So grace does not change sin. It does not change the definition of sin. Grace acknowledges we're sinning and God is not punishing us because of his grace. That's what grace is. I'm gonna go over a little bit that um, much of the church will use as a grace teaching that's actually flawed. This might be interesting to you. Uh, it's going to be a teaching, something in the New Testament, and really how you look at it through the eyes of the Torah, the Old Testament. So we all know the, um, the story of the adulterous woman who was dragged in front of Yeshua. And they said, what are you going to do with this woman uh, that Moses commands us to stone her? Right? She was caught in the act of adultery. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and he said to them, he who is without sin cast the first stone. In other words, it's often translated as nobody can judge anybody because we're all sinners. It's not what he meant. It's not what he meant. That would be just ignoring sin. It's not what he meant. So whoever is without sin cast the first stone. And that's very much used even as a, as, a, as a saying, as a platitude almost. So when they heard this, they began leaving one by one, beginning with the older ones. He was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard and straightening up. Yeshua said to her, woman, where are they? Where are your accusers? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no, no one, Lord. They're all gone. And Yeshua said, well, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. So this is what Yeshua was doing. It is actually um, 
masterful what Yeshua did. Over the top, masterful. So let's repeat, let's just recap this whole story. She was brought to Yeshua. They were trying to trap him. She was caught in adultery. What are you going to do? The Bible says the Torah, the Moses, our teachings say stone her. What are you going to do? He said he was without sin. What? Cast the first stone. They all walked away. And then when they were all away, he said, where are your accusers? She said, they're all gone. He said, then I can't, I can't accuse you either. I don't accuse you. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Acknowledging her sin, by the way. Where did all this come from? Well, again, in the Torah, when it comes to stoning, it says, you are to bring out to your gates the man or woman who has done this evil deed, the man or the woman, and you shall stone them to death. These are important. On the testimony of two witnesses or three witnesses. Okay? The condemned shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. You need two or more. In fact, when Yeshua said, when two or more are gathered, I am with you. This is what he's referring to. He's not referring to fellowship. We have fellowship with him even if we're alone. We can use it in our discussion. Well, two or more are gathered. Here we are at the service and Yeshua's with us. We can use it. Baruch Hashem. But that's not what it really means. He's talking about issues of, of, of court issues and issues of trial and judgment. Yeah. If two or more are witnesses say it happened, he says, I'm with you. You can, you can make the condemnation there. I'm with you. That's what he means. So on the testimony of two or three witnesses, the condemned shall be put to death. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one. Listen, the hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him. To put him to death, and afterwards the hands of all the people. Did you hear that? The hands of the witnesses shall be first. So who casts the first stone? The witnesses. So when he said he was without sin, cast the first stone, he was saying, okay, who saw it? Where are the witnesses? And by the way, if you're lying, now you're a murderer and you're next to get this punishment. Because you shall not, you shall not bear false witness. Yes. He was using the Torah. Yes. They were lying. She was not caught. Apparently, she was an adulteress, but they didn't catch her. That was a lie. So he said, "Okay, it says in our Bible, according to Moses, the witnesses cast the stone, and if they are lying, then they get stoned." Go ahead. Who does it? And he said, "Oops." And they walked away. And when they walked away, and he was left alone, and he said, I don't condemn you either. Why did he say that? You need two witnesses. And now he was alone. Legally, he couldn't say you're guilty. That's what it means. It is not a Lucy Grace scripture that says, oh, you can't judge anybody. You can't destroy no, no, no. We're all sinners, so we can't really speak. That's beware counterfeit love. Where there's no growth. We need to be cautious about when we're condemning people, when we're, when we're saying, hey, you're doing something wrong. We need to be cautious. That does need to be of the Lord. We don't always need to be doing that. And there is much, much value in giving people grace. Much value in giving people grace. But to say, oh, we just can't judge anybody because we're all sinners because of this is incorrect. Where false grace, counterfeit grace. Moving on. Beware counterfeit humility. 
It says, pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Humility, true humility is an accurate self-depiction. It's accurate. It knows that you're dependent upon God. It, it's right in that line of like, you know, I'm dependent of God, I'm not gonna be prideful. It's where he wants us, that's pure humility. And I know that some people here need to hear this. Self-abasement is not humility. Self-hatred is not humility. I wanna speak into your spirit, beware, counterfeit, humility. If you feel that you are unworthy and unlovable, and it's a badge of honor that you wear, that you carry around, that is counterfeit humility. Arise, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. You are beloved of the Lord. He loves you enough for he gave his son up for you, for you, for you, for you. Beware counterfeit humility that will make you think you're just so doomed because of how bad or unworthy you are. It's a counterfeit. Flee from that in the name of Yeshua. Hallelujah! There are so many. I mean, every, like I said, every Every action has an equal opposite reaction. Everything good of the kingdom has a counterfeit. And we should be mindful of that. So how do we become mindful of these things when the counterfeits are really meant to, to, to emulate and to make us think that it's the real thing? How do we identify the counterfeits? In all these areas, whether it's something out there, something prophetic, or whether it's something internal, like Val said, where our suspicion is a counterfeit of spiritual discernment. How are we aware? How do we become aware? I study the Bible. I'm going to give you the honest answer. I can't give you a real easy answer. But I'm going to pray over you. If you feel that you need assistance in identifying the real thing, and ignoring the false, the counterfeit. If you can just raise your hands, and I'm just going to pray. I mean, just like raise your hands to the Lord. I don't even need to see who's doing it. Father, I just lift up everyone here. You speak of the end times of falseness rising up. And I believe that we are in a time when falseness is rising up. Father, as it was, as it was just said, I pray that the relationship with you is so improved and so clear that we're able, everyone here who may have their hands raised, to be able not just to identify false, but to identify the truth. To know the truth so well that the false will smell bad and you'll flee from it. And even if it's 90% true, to recognize that 10% false. Say, nope, not going there. I speak truth over everyone here. In Yeshua's name. You know, there's another one. It's um, like tribalism. You know, in the, in, the, in the Bible, in the Torah, like the Israel is tribal. 
It's tribal. And that's not a bad thing because every tribe has their own gifts, their own callings, their own blessings, their own land, some this much, some this much. Everybody has something different. But they all come together in unity. That is scriptural, biblical tribalism. It's okay that we're different. We come together as one. Hallelujah. But tribalism these days separates us into these little thought bubbles. And I'm going to start getting, I got out of zeal, not anger. <laughs> I like you too. Because I, you know, I, I, I'm telling you, when I ever speak about social media, it's more for me than it is for you. But, you know, the good thing about social media is that every single person out there has a voice. The bad thing about social media is that every single person has a voice. And the things that we would otherwise, without social media, be talking to people face to face with our closest friends probably only, or our closest family probably only, either around the dinner table or on a living room couch or over coffee, now we just throw out there, I believe this. And then other people who are otherwise our friends are going, what? You believe what? You believe Donald Trump, what? You believe Obama, what? You believe Biden, what? You believe the earth is flat, what? You believe that vaccine, what? You believe this, and all, now all of a sudden tribalism comes in because you comment. Oh, I agree, amen, amen, sister, amen, brother, amen, amen, amen. And now tribalism starts to happen. Now all of a sudden, people are ticked off at what you feel, and they're unfriending you. You know how many friends have been lost over this kind of stuff? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We need to learn to be different and still be as one. There are way too many friendships and relationships lost because the things that we normally just say to face to face is thrown out there and it has a different feel when it's out there and you're seeing it because it misses the nuance of conversation. And all of a sudden people are hating each other. Social media is not going anywhere. It's, it's, it's going to be part of our society probably for forever. We have to learn to not have our relationships affected because of what people are sharing. Let people have their little fringe beliefs and don't let it impact relationships. Face-to-face, non-face-to-face relationships is a counterfeit. Yes. I'm going to give just a little personal example and we'll close the service. So I was, I, back in college, I was uh, dating this girl before I met Sue, obviously. And um, we had like one or two dates and it went fine. And then I went away to work at a summer camp out of state for the summer. And me and this girl corresponded with letters. And she would write me letters about how great I was. <laughs> and I would respond back with letters to how great she was and how we couldn't, couldn't wait to reconnect and to reunite and how perfect we are for each other after our two dates. <laughs> and finally summer camp ended and we went back and we reconnected and we didn't get along at all. <laughs> And I remember learning a lesson even back then. Written communication 
is not real relationship. You need to have face-to-face -face relationship. And that's one of the travesties of coronavirus. It kept us away from each other. Thank you, God, that it's going away. But when real face-to-face -face communication is replaced with just writing, we lose the true essence of what people are sharing and it's causing division. That's the counterfeit. The real thing is we have differences, but we come together as one. And let it be more of that. In the name of Yeshua, amen. amen.